Hey, Melody. <laughs> hey, Peter. Sup, Drew? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to How College Works. Uh, so last time we mentioned that student ownership of learning might be something that we would talk about this time. So I thought we, you know, we'd go ahead and follow through on that and talk about student ownership of learning, which doesn't necessarily on the face of it sound like something that we have a lot to do with. It seems like that's a lot on the student, but it does tend to work its way into my classes, uh, specifically in the way that I interact with my students and the way my students expect me to interact. I really want them to have ownership of their learning for reasons, <laughs> and the standard mode is that they don't, though they have, probably haven't thought about it that way. So I guess, give me a recap, since it was about a week before I listened to the, you know, the last episode of the podcast. Student ownership of learning, what does that look like? What, is that, what does that mean? That sounds like a fancy buzzword. I think I know what it means to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know what it means to me. And we didn't really even talk about that. But in terms of my understanding of it, and listeners, if you go find an education expert and they tell you something different than what I'm about to say, you should probably believe them. But in terms of our discussion today, uh, student ownership of learning mostly boils down to, uh, I think for me, two things. Students being engaged with the material. And I guess I should clarify what that actually means. <laughs> Says sounds like another buzzword. So to me that sounds like instead of, whereas I, I might have a student that comes in and says, you know, why do I need to learn this? Or my major is, is XYZ and this is not my major. What am I, you know, basically prove to me why I, I should bother to care about your class. It's the opposite of that, right? <laughs> uh, I think it has hallmarks of that, but I think it's kind of different. Well, I um, think I would describe it as, like, if you have ownership over your learning, you're actively participating instead of passively receiving. Ah, yes. I think that's a good... Okay. I just wanted definition. a pretty clear idea, definition, before we yeah. dive I mean, deep. And that may not be super clear, but again, not experts, so I'm not sure how clear we have done this because this is not part of our education. It's merely part of our job, I mean, a big part of our job. So I run into this most, or I feel like I run up against this in my classes <clears throat> because I require student participa participation. And so I expect them to have done the reading before they come to class, which I think most professors <laughs> yes, do. They do. Uh, my classes are small enough that I can actually go student to student and say, what do we need to talk about today? I set this up at the beginning of the semester. It's like it's the beginning of the class. I'm going to ask you what we need to talk about. So you need to tell me, you know, what was confusing, where we lost you, or if everything was fine, what was the most interesting thing? Kind of, you know, prove to me that you've done the reading. And on one level, that, that's to keep them doing the reading before they show up. But the other level, I don't want to spend all my time just talking about random stuff. I can do that. I'm an academic. It's kind of your skill. my skill set. <laughs> but there are things I want them to learn. I don't want to just fill 50 minutes with my own voice. It is a lovely, a melodious voice. voice. I know. But <laughs> scoff. <laughs> I, want, I want them to learn something. There, there are things I want them to understand. And so I start by asking them to tell me what they don't understand so we can actually talk about that. And if you know, everybody understands stellar classification and nobody brings it up, then we're not going to spend our time on that because I'm going to assume that they understand it because no one's asked about it. So your 
looking for students to come in with, or you know, you're you're posing a question and expecting an answer from everyone, and you're getting crickets. I mean, at the beginning. Yeah. But I also tell them my superpower is to stand awkwardly silent longer than they can sit awkwardly silent. Yeah. So somebody will speak. So it takes a little bit of, this sounds like it takes a little bit of class culture, what in, in yeah. K-12 we would call class culture. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, building a culture of it's safe to make a mistake or share a mistake or share my absence of knowledge or whatever. Yeah, it makes sense to me that you would have to build that up from, from day one. Basically, yeah. And that's, I mean, when we talk about the ownership of the learning, in an ideal world, I mean, so students, as you go and go into your major and you become sort of an upper classman or class person or however you want, third or fourth year, and you're taking majority of your own major classes, it should be transitioning to a place where you are not taking the class because it's a hoop to jump through, but because this is a subject that you are deeply interested in and you want to know this material. At which point the homework takes on a completely different kind of feel to it. Yeah, it's hard. It's harder then than it was before. You've got better time management skills, but really it's like, no, I want to, I want to get this. I want to understand this. It's not about performing something for somebody else. It's about performing it for yourself. At heart, that's ownership of learning is not doing it because I told you you needed to, although as the parental figure, that should be good enough. But really what I want is my students to be interested or engage in the material enough that they'll start on the homework a little early, that they'll come ask me questions because they didn't get it but and they want to get it, not just because they want the points, but because they want to understand it, not just get the right answer. Well, I mean, I guess I see like... Um... I think this is an important topic, so I'll start with that. The, <laughs> the, um, is, it a, is it a little bit of a pipe dream to expect that individuals are going to be super jazzed and psyched up about, like you said, not their – I have to just speak from my own experience. In, a, in music classes, my professors are telling me, hey, I decided to be a music major. Become an expert in something. Stop missing notes. Stop being out of pitch. Like, do something well go to the practice room and handle it. And that's because I picked that those classes and I picked that major. I didn't do that with my English 101 class. I knew it. I knew it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's not because I don't like English or writing. You know, I do like writing uh, composition and, and those things. And mm -hmm. I actually really love editing. But, but that, that, that thump was the sound of melody going under the bus. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the bus well, is ruined. Right. I, I, but I should say, like, as a, as, as a first-year student mm -hmm. or second-year student, we need to start switching gears, and how do we get that message across? But I think it's foolish to walk in the door even in December and expect that the gears have shifted down. Oh, I, I think it's probably something that is maybe be a pipe dream to expect to have shifted to that mode by your third or fourth year if it's not in your major for, for yeah, many students. Let's not talk about my transcript because that would be a bad example. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. They are always like, "Why are you always so excited?" I was like, "Do you think I'm really this excited, or do you think that I'm just pretending to be excited?" So, like, some of this is like you have to kind of. I told them like, I don't. I mean, I care if that you don't like this class. It's like, but don't let me see that. What your job is to do is to like feign interest, even if you think this is boring, and just do do the work. So it's sounding like student engagement is lie to me. Well, <laughs> it's hard for me to take an interest in students who don't take an interest in my class. Oh, 
that's that's the discussion I remember having already. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're gonna come back to that. I mean, because I'm a person too, right? <laughs> And whenever my yeah, students think, are like, this is boring. I don't like this. This is stupid. I'm like, this is uh, my PhD. You're essentially saying that my entire life is boring and pointless to you. That's awesome. Don't say that, please. Because <laughs> it, like, it, it does kind of hurt my feelings. And I don't expect them to love writing. I just want them to acknowledge that writing is an important skill that they need to practice and do better. I, you know, and I think you're, you're exactly right that you mentioned, hey, I am a human. There's there's two humans in this exchange. And, you know, part of what we're expecting with this student engagement is, you know, two ends of humanity of this exchange. This, I mean, this reminds me of kind of like a Zen, you know, when you're sitting, just sit. When you're writing English papers, just write English papers. Like, you have to be at least engaged enough to just do the, do the level, level of work. And then, hey, when you're done, go do whatever you do at college. I'm not sure what kids do these days. Play the Pokemon Go, whatever you do. Netflix. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Netflix. Whatever we do these days. I don't know. And that's cool. Go do your thing, party, whatever. And then when you're in class, be in class. That is a a reasonable... I mean, that's uh, like, to me, the minimum level of student engagement. You know, just show up and be there. (laughs) Like, in body and in mind. (laughs) The manifestation of it is that the exchanges that we have are respecting me as a human and you know, me respecting you as a human, and we're having this kind of, at least an exchange of, of words that are not totally blatantly disrespectful, right? I don't know. Right. Well, I mean, I think there's also, I think that that respect of another human being and engaging with them as a person is step zero. But the other thing that I think, for me, it encapsulates is also this idea, which, I, again, students take need time for this transition, is your education is not a one-way street. Right. Is that you come to my class and, yeah, I'm an expert in my field. I'm going to... I can teach you all day long, but the learning is still up to you. Right. I mean, yeah, there's <clears throat> there's two things in there. One is that I'm not the one who does the work for your learning. Like, I can't. I Literally, I can't. Like, my son says, call me down. He's four. Like, <laughs> he's four. He's four. I can't call a telemite. You are the only one who can calm you down. I can help you, but you are the only one who can be... Who could be calm? My students are the only ones who can learn the material. I've, I've already done it. I think you're, you've caught on to it as like being a, a parent of a young child has a little bit of perspective that uh, hopefully a 19, 20-year-old first-year college student doesn't have. Yes. Hopefully. But um, not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, but you get that idea of, you know, I just told a freshman today, uh, first-year high school math who else is going to learn this? I've already learned it. Who, who should be learning this work today? Uh, we're finding the slope of a line given two points. Like, Sweet. I, I already know it. Like, I don't need to learn it. I'm, I'm putting this challenge in front of you so that you will make a mistake and learn from it. Right. You have to push the pencil. I can't physically do it. And it's kind of a grown-up change in mind. All, you know, through high school and college to get to that, oh, yeah, shoot, I do actually have to know this. They're not going to just hand me a diploma or a degree at the end. Well, yeah, there that. And then also that the, one of the other things that I was thinking of was they have control. They, have, they can ask questions. They can ask for help. That I think they've been in this mode for so long of teacher stands up, talks, we go and do our thing, and there's actually no exchange, right? You might as well have just watched a video with, like, some mild question interactive stuff. That there's no, 
they don't have any control over that. And I think even in high school, but certainly what I would like to see from my students in college is like when they struggle, they're not on their own. They're not powerless. They can come ask me for help. I will give them help. They can ask tutors for help. They can get help for that. They can go to student services and get help for that. That this is student ownership of learning now in my head you've just said locus of control the idea of i'm in charge of what my actions i take versus the learning is falling on me like rain (laughs) oh it does (laughs) yes yes students we will make it rain knowledge down on you but you know that we are not the only ones doing things and that there is a strong locus of control that's latin in this location oh. that, it, that it exists within the students there's lots of th- that you can do and while you cannot control what I teach or how I teach or when I teach that everything else is up to you to control how you wish well I'm going to go back to the whole reading thing <laughs> like you know reading for class mm-hmm. part of it that irritates me about that is that students seem to think that well she just gave us this assignment and I'm like no I didn't just give it to you there's a reason why I gave it to you I know it takes some time to build up that trust that I'm not wasting their time but I assume when they come in that I can start with the reading already completed I don't need to go over the reading that is our foundation from the rest of the class and whenever they don't read it really messes up lots of things yes so, I don't know, just to like clarify, I mean, I don't assign reading for fun because I have to read that too so that I can know what we're talking about. So every assignment that they do, I have to also do. I don't, yeah. don't think that's very clear. And that I don't try to waste their time. I mean, not even with like little assignments because I still have to grade those stupid things too. So I'm like, I just don't, I don't have time to waste their time because it also wastes my time. And so part of that is just kind of trusting in the process that all of this is connected and it does have a, a purpose. Just go with it for a little while and see, and it'll start to connect. Maybe not right away. Or ask. Or ask. It's perfectly valid. I mean, the thing that I keep trying to remember is I, re- I remember being in math classes because I was a math minor. And, uh, and they would do like proofs and derivations and we'd spend like 20 minutes on that and be like, I'm lost. I don't know what's going on. And they get to the end and be like, oh... That's what we were doing? And in retrospect, like, okay, I can kind of see how this goes, but I couldn't connect the dots in the moment because I didn't know what was going, I didn't know why. And I try to be better at telling my students where I'm going and why we're doing this. But, you know, I fail at that. uh, Well, and sometimes those things are better taught inductively. True. I'm sorry, I don't have to always connect the dots. True, or or even I give you an ending point, right? And you can connect the dots in between. If you know where I'm going to end up, you can at least kind of try to see where I'm going. But if you don't, if you're all like, I don't understand what's going on here. Why are we doing this? Like a respectful, like throw up and have me like, why are we doing this? Is not going to fly because that's disrespectful. But be like, I'm I'm confused. I don't know where we're going with this. So we're talking about whatever. That's a perfectly reasonable question to ask. And anybody who doesn't respond well to that is a bad person. I'm just going to... Wow. <laughs> Sorry, colleagues. I don't know. I didn't want to get like caught up on that. Oh, blah, blah. But it is kind of their responsibility for mm-hmm. them to come in with some of that information, right? And yeah. so 
I expect them to have some of that base knowledge so that we can build from that. The readings are not the end-all be-all. They're the starting point for most of my class activities. So I, I guess, I'm not sure, I guess when I was in school, and which was so, so long ago, and you know, even prior to that, I would not dream of coming into a class and saying, I didn't read it, ha <laughs> ha. Oh, that's pretty common. Yeah, I know it is now, but I, you know. And we were I also not that student, Drew. Well, I'm just saying I would not necessarily have read every single word. But, but you I didn't could say skim it. that because you faked it. <laughs> you know, I could skim it and fake it uh, a little bit better. And I think that's a, addressing a student skill. But on the other side of it is, is um, a conversation about the difference between homework in high school and, and homework in college. And like you said, these are people theoretically who've self-selected to be at college, to be at university in a major and maybe they don't see the connection in the first year, but especially if you do a professional level program or if you're in the upper classes of your major junior, senior year, it's more obvious to see like, oh, yeah, I see why this makes you know connection. Or like you said, if you're in an apprenticeship to the master kind of relationship, it's not that you don't question your master. It's that you understand and trust that these assignments are so that I have, you know, same level knowledge exiting with my diploma, my degree that the rest of the masters in the field have. So, you know, that kind of level of knowledge is, or that, that understanding of the reasons behind the assignments is not, is not there yet. In which case, again, I would advise students to politely, courteously ask. Yeah, I'll like, tell why, you. Why do we do this? I mean, I think most professors would, would explain, be like, well, that's because of this. You know? Like you said, if it was framed, if it's framed, you know, respectfully, like, you know, where are we headed? What are we... What does this apply to? That's a question. Why are we learning this? Is not a thing. That's. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I hate that. I mean, I understand it. It's, it's just thoughtless communication. Yeah. It's not well, it's petulant and entitled. When you were talking about student well, entitlement. Some of me, I'm, I'm like flashing back to some of our wonderful training sessions for faculty, and I'm like, why are we learning this? This is so stupid. Because I don't know, I have the same thoughts sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think some of that is like legitimately, I don't need to know it. But other things too is that they're trying to give you like a bigger picture of things, and right. you don't always see those things. But I, I think that a lot in my life today that it's <laughs> kind of stupid. Why am I learning this? <laughs> But you're not going to actually vocalize that. No, no. Because that's no, not good that. social skills. I mean, I might say it to you. <laughs> <laughs> and I would tell you why I think we need to learn it. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. <laughs> you guys are peers. Like, you make that complaint to your peer. That's you right. Yeah, you don't bring it out. You don't talk to your instructor about that. That's not yeah. appropriate. Engineering club. <laughs> Clubs happening. <laughs> so back to sort of student engagement and what that means. For us, is that your professors? Ideal. I mean, every professor is different. We are people, but your professors are teaching material that they are nominally experts and very engaged in. But more than simply faking enthusiasm for a subject that they're enthusiastic about, which you know we can debate how important that is. I don't or know not. if it's important, but it doesn't hurt. Right. I think the the deeper thing is the amount of control that a student is willing to exercise over their learning and what that process looks like. And, and deeper than that is the, is the amount of control that a student perceives that they have within themselves over right. the learning process, where in 
K-12. I think it's possible to make it through K-12 believing that all of the learning control is owned by the teacher. Secretly, all the learning control is actually owned by the student. Yeah. Right, it's a secret. You're right. It's, it's esoteric. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's sort of the thing, thinking about the way instruction, as I recall from, from high school and then college and then grad school, it's sort of a stripping away of the uh, explicit control that the instructor has that less and less is sort of dictated by the instructor until you, when, you, when you reach grad school. Self-directed. Yeah, basically they stand up their talk, which they may or may not make any sense. And then the expectation is if you have a really crappy professor in grad school, which many of them can be because they don't want to let those professors near the undergrads. <laughs> and so those professors teach the grad courses which they may not want to do anyway, and so you have a really bad teacher, there's still the expectation that you as a grad student are going to make it work. And if that means reading the book on your own and working a ton of extra problems and getting together 18 other people in your, in your class to do study sessions, that's what it means. Like, and, if, and as sort of we go from high school to college to grad school to no school, then more and more of that sort of responsibility for finding resources and, and finding support and figuring stuff out is falling on the individual. Let's talk a little bit about the writing center okay. or the tutoring center. Okay. Drew, do you have a writing center or a tutoring center at your high school? Yeah, we do. It's not called writing center. It's We have a, um, a period of academic uh, support for a half an hour a day. And students can get referred for certain skills, if it's writing or math or what have you, science, whatever, uh, either by their teacher, by themselves, or by their parents. And so it's kind of a by appointment, pull out kind of thing. Every student on campus does a, a half an hour, but some of them can get like scheduled tutors. Are those some, like oh, we have it's, it's pretty much open to everybody at this point. They're prof- professional tutors or peer tutors. No, it's peer tutors. It's like the AP calculus kids and the you know AP language um, kids that come in and tutor the lower level courses. Well, I was just trying to get some perspective because writing centers are not very common in high schools, although they're starting to grow. And so I know that tutoring and writing centers are sometimes part of a high school you know culture, but not always. But I have what is it? Is it six o'clock yet? Close. <laughs> Close. I I, I have writing tutors who will be sitting in the writing center, probably doing nothing for the next three hours, because students don't come to them. Does that mean that everyone is passing English one hundred and one? No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> and I a lot of times uh, there's this perception that tutoring means that you're remedial or that you're weak and. I think that's something that I have to combat quite a bit, but like every, and I'm just speaking for writing because, you know, that's my thing, but everybody needs another reader, like all the time. I ask people to read stuff all the time, and I teach writing, and I still need several readers for most of the things that I write. They get that stuff for free? Yeah, free. Free. Anyway. Well, and these tutors are trained. Like, writing centers are, is kind of like my thing. I really, it was my grad school focus. And these tutors are trained through best practices, and they meet with me weekly. I mean, they are on point. They know what they're doing. And really, all they are are listeners. They listen, and they talk to you about your writing. 
it's not that complicated, but at the same time, it can be like a huge eye opener. But students don't use our services. I mean, we, I don't know how many students we've had this semester, but not nearly. You've had two of mine? Two of Dr. I got Hammond's. emails. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I haven't done the statistics, but when I check in with them, they're like, well, I had one person this week. You know, when one person comes in for tutoring, and I know there are students out there who are struggling, go get thee to the writing center <laughs> or the tutoring center. We have subject area tutors, and I sit down there on Mondays and Wednesday nights and just watch them do their homework because they don't have anybody to come in. <laughs> so the tutors aren't learning anything, and I know there are people out there who are not doing awesomely in French, and our French tutors down there just doing her algebra homework, you know. <laughs> I don't know, so part of that ownership, too, is whenever you need help, ask for it. That's a big thing that I learned in graduate school, is that I, I don't know things, and I need to ask for help on things. And that... I thought that was the point of a master's degree, is learning when to say, I don't know. Oh, what's the point of a bachelor's degree? Oh, that you just get that for showing up. Oh, right, okay. You pay for that. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> the, is, some lessons are more expensive than others. That's I think true. That the, Kids failing English 101 and, and not going to writing center, they're learning a lesson. It just costs more in college than it does in high well, school. Well, I mean, they're learning a lesson if someone points it out, right? Otherwise, they're the lesson, I mean, in terms of asking for help. You're right. The feedback has to be there, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. Other, otherwise, the lesson we learn is I'm bad at English. And that's not necessarily the case. Cognitive psychology has shown that our brains are flexible and growing through like tw 25. Well, so I'm done. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that you can't actually learn new things or get better at things, you know. It means that your your braining your my braininess your braininess is is better than it was. Okay. Right. Uh, you have mature thought processes. That's why it's so easy to confuse students. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it also means like while we all have our natural proclivities and sort of starting abilities, that doesn't mean that we can't improve. This is not the 1950s where if you test low on math, you can never do math, which is what we thought in the 50s. If you have difficulty with math, you can become better at math. It will take more work, it will take more time, but it is not an impossibility. It is not something you should just give up on. You didn't just invoke growth mindset during our discussion of yes. ownership. Yes, yeah, yeah, we I did. did. Yes, did. we did. That, that, that would be the buzzword for what I just described is, yes, growth mindset. I talk about growth mindset in my writing classes because so many of those students come in and say, I, I suck at writing. Like, that's how they introduce themselves to me. <laughs> I have nearly lost my temper with students who have been all like, I can't do this. It's like, never, never tell me that. Never say that to me again or I will actually be upset. I will punch you. You, can, you, can, you, you have a difficulty. You can do this. We will work it out. But never say those words to me. You guys have to remember, you've got, even at the college that you're at, you've got still some top-level individuals applying to and making it in and getting to your classes. I'm working with students who this is compulsory this is, even in ninth grade, we're talking about their second time through algebra, or sometimes I have 10th, 11th grade that are the, some of them are the third time through algebra. It's a sales pitch. It's a used car salesman sales pitch. You can do this. You, you know, you've got it. I've had to train more than one person out of starting every answer with, I think I'm wrong, but mm. just remove that and just go ahead and be wrong, but don't say, you know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of that in the public school at this level and your your students may not be used like they may have breezed through high school 
Yeah, a lot of them have. Yeah. Or they may have been B plus students, whatever, I don't know, and then have gotten to your level and are suddenly highly challenged because it is a gear shift, yeah. you know, of difficulty level. And they don't have a response system yet for, like, they've never faced a challenge where they need have needed to have a defense mechanism for failure. Yes. That's true. I remember that. I remember that time in my life. And, and then I got a C in in uh, yeah. freshman composition. Oh my god. We talked about this. We have it's interesting cuz you got your C is that your only C? That is my only C. Okay. Well, my only C is in college algebra. High five. <laughs> <laughs> and now we I, teach this class. This is mm-hmm. interesting. I have an X on my transcript, so I win. What does that mean? <laughs> that means I didn't drop the class, but I also uh, never showed up, so oh. they technically give me an F on GPA, but it doesn't show up as an F because it's not like I took the final for an F. Hmm. It's just it's like a technical knockout on judging points. That's all. <laughs> wow. Some well, some transcripts. The reason why I ask is that X indicates plagiarism. Mm. That you got you failed the class because of plagiarism. That is not what. No. That's not okay. What sure. <laughs> <laughs> something like uh, technical withdrawal like the, the school mm. withdrawed me I didn't actually withdraw sure <laughs> so I, I won Mr. 1C I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that like I have major like low doing poorly in class cred but I, again, no, I'm a professor I'm probably not that guy <laughs> as we've talked about you know that that grade is in uh, medieval studies so I'm not I'm okay with that medieval studies that sounds awesome <laughs> Anyway, I don't know that I have a whole lot more to say about it, except for, like, what I want students to do is, I mean, I know they're paying for it, which adds this extra layer. They like, have an ownership, but why are, they, why are they wasting my time? Why are they wasting their time? Well, I mean, ownership is not about paying for it. No, I understand, but, but they I will mean, equate that. Yeah, so students, paying money for it doesn't mean that you, doesn't mean the same way that, that you have ownership in, what we're, in the way we're talking about it. That's a purchase, but it's not something that you value in the same way that you've constructed yourself. There's nobody at your school. There, there might be one kid, and I doubt there's even that many, that earned some cash and paid retail price, face value, for their for your education. Well, I think but they, well they paid somebody. Some of them have their own money has they, been paid to the school. They took a loan. They took a loan. The, you know, people who are like, ask your, your people who take stats on this at your school. Somebody has the records for this at your school or most schools. It was probably like a 50% reduction. That's not my money. To stand there and say, I paid for this, they're lying to themselves. It's intellectual dishonesty. Like, they, (laughs) people that that have actually purchased that. I, by the way, am still paying for the loan I took to pay for the the classes I complained about 20 years ago in college. So, I I almost have mine paid off. Oh my God, I hate you. Within six months, I'll be paid off. Six months? I think so. That's that's ridiculous. I paid for this. Well, and what I like to say to that, they're like, well, I paid for you to do this. I'm like, no, you paid to listen to me. You know, like, I, you paid to get my information. I gave it to you. The rest is kind of up to you. Yes. I have cast my pearls before you. You must Swag. string them yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that fact, consumer culture stuff well, that I don't dig. Consumer and entitled. Yeah. Right? That it's is crossing like, the line. If you, if you really want to be all like the poster child for entitled, Say I pay for this course. No, no. The poster child, the poster child for entitlement would say I pay your salary. 
That's the one. That's, That's the, the one. one. And I'm like, actually. No, no, you do not. There is no way that you have paid for my salary. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean to derail us on that one. Sorry about that. No, yeah, no, no. Exactly. It's fine. Well, but I think that, like, just to clarify that whole, because there is this payment structure here that is a little different mm-hmm. from from high school, but just to, it's more than just monetarily owning something. Like mm-hmm. It's being a an agent in the creation of your own knowledge, of your own understanding, I should say, because I feel like knowledge is misleading. Students think that they need to like do some foundational crazy research and create new stuff. And really, all I really mean when we say knowledge is your understanding, is that are you active and trying to create your own understanding, or are you just waiting for everything to happen to you? If That's you are active, then then you have ownership of your of your learning, and you will figure it out, and your professors will probably be very pleased with you. If you're just waiting for everything to kind of fall into place for you because of what somebody else has done, uh, chances are you won't get a lot of help from us. Chances are you also will not ask for a lot of help from us. Okay, well, I think we can wrap it up there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We did nice today. It was good. good. <laughs> well, thanks for chatting with me. It was good. If you have anything you want us to talk about or questions to ask us, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Hyland, D-O-C-T-O-R-H-Y-L-E-N-D. You can reach me via email if you want, if you have a longer request at peter.o.hyland at gmail.com. I'm uh, at Andrew Hyland on Twitter, uh, but don't send me emails, send them to Peter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll filter through. All of the all of the abuse and send only the good things. Where, where do I go to find this this podcast aside from like iTunes? Can I get it somewhere else? So it's on. So we are on iTunes and uh, it's posted on um, TuneIn and SoundCloud. There's there's enough and Stitcher. There's enough of them that if you use your podcast app of choice and search for How College Works, it'll come up. You'll, it will come up. I mean. Which is nice. You can tell your friends. You obviously have found it since you're listening to us right now. All right. Talk to everybody next week. Bye.